Hey guys, I'm Megan Barker. Welcome to Jammin' and Jammies. We are sitting down with some of our favorite songwriters and industry leaders. We're going to find out how they got where they are and maybe learn some valuable insight along the way. You can watch the interviews online or tune into the podcast. Check out jamminandjammies.com for all the details. Today, we are sitting down with Bobby Tomberlin. He's an artist and a noted songwriter here in Nashville with cuts by artists like Diamond Rio, Blake Shelton, Faith Hill, Willie Nelson, Barbara Streisand, and the Liz goes on and on and on he's also cma acm and grammy nominated my goodness okay we have a lot of ground to cover let's welcome him bobby how are you doing i'm doing good how are you doing megan it's been too long it's been a long time it's so good to see you my friend thank you for taking the time to be here oh it's great what a wonderful way to spend a monday afternoon amen i agree i'm in my pajamas so i'm i'm nice and comfy um do you want to just start by telling everyone where you're from and how you got into music? Hmm. I really don't know how I got into music. I mean, it was in me actually from the beginning when yeah. I got here. I saw a, a little picture of me when I was less than one year old that I that someone sent me, and I was you know had my had overalls on and had them stuck in cowboy boots and was holding a little guitar and my mouth wide open. So I mean, it's not about day one um i think the story goes i would cry if the radio was off when i was three months old wow. but you know from a town Luverne, alabama population i think around 2500 the friendliest city in the south that's on the sign as you drive in and uh two stoplight town and just uh loved music and again as far back as i can remember just uh you know, had the records. I didn't play with toys much. I, I had records that I would carry around with me all the time. I mean, I had cousins who would say, get me the Merle Haggard record. And at like three years old, I would go pick up a certain Merle Haggard record or, or Glenn Campbell record or Hank Williams record. And, and um, but anyway, I've told this story many times, had a make-believe radio station in my little bedroom at home and would do weather forecast and read the news and do commercials and and at age 11 began uh, you know being the afternoon and weekend disc jockey at my hometown radio station and uh you know interviewed a lot of artists probably over 100 interviews uh, everyone from people like waylon jennings to the group alabama bobby bear i mean you know just from that time period you know just anyone who would talk to me and i skipped college and uh, ended up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama for a couple of years. I was roommates with Mike McGuire, the group Shenandoah, right when they were beginning to kick off their career. Wow. And songwriting mentor, he was my other roommate, Billy Henderson, who had written at that time already several hit songs. So boy, did I get a great, I had some good teachers. And, and then Mel Tillis, you know, heard some songs that I had been writing with a guy by the name of Jim Martin. And he signed uh, signed me up, and and off to Nashville I went, and I've been here ever since. Unbelievable. Okay, first of all, I gotta know: Are there tapes of the interviews that you did when you were eleven years old? Absolutely, I have a lot of the cassette tapes, and I need to get them transferred. I actually found a box of them not long ago that I thought had been lost, and in that box was like <laughs> Dave Co, Bobby Bear. Bill Anderson, you know, oh 
and uh, old country singers like Webb Pierce. And I don't mean old, but I mean from the era of the 50s, Webb Pierce. And I mean, you know, Earl Scruff, you know, and just Ray Price. And I was like, man, I'm so glad to have these. Wow. I would love to hear some of those interviews sometimes. So I hope you'll share them with us. Um, when you got signed, you went to Nashville. How long was it until you started having success? Was it pretty quickly? You know, I've told this in many interviews too. Mel Tillis gave me my first publishing deal, $100 a week. Then I went to Kroger grocery store and worked for another $100 a week. And you know, just started writing like all the time. And uh, I ended up with my first cut. I think it was a couple of years after getting here. Well, I had had one before, not on a major label. But the first major cut was by an artist, Billy Dean. Yeah, He was just hot as could be at the time. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, the lady who pitched the song to him called me at Kroger that night and I couldn't even do my job. I was so excited. I got to hear the work, I mean, the rough uh, version of the song the next day. And I thought, oh, I'm on my way. And the record company president at that time of Capitol Records, Jimmy Bowen, for some reason he axed that record oh. and my, I didn't make it. And, you know, I'd gone back home and told everyone, oh, I got my first cut. And, you know, and then everyone says, well, when's it coming out? You know, oh, well, it wasn't on, your song wasn't on the record. So, oh. you know, that was a big old, big old lesson to learn. And then I had two or three others right after that that didn't make projects. Oh. And then Linda Davis, bless her heart. She, she recorded a song that Stephen and I wrote, and it was actually a single for her, a song called Love Didn't Do It, He Did. And she would sing it in the middle of the Reba concerts after they would sing, Does He Love You? And uh, anyway, that was really the beginning, you know, first radio success. Unbelievable. Now, when you say that you signed your first deal, was that with Curb? And you've been with Curb for 25 years. Yeah, Mel Tillis. No, he, I actually signed a published deal with Mel. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a special time. You know, we're talking 1990. And, uh, you know, people like Glenn Campbell would come in unannounced, some of Mel's friends. And I can remember at that publishing company, you know, we're talking an independent company owned by, yeah. you know, a country artist, where now you have so many major, um, you know, corporations that own the publishing companies. At that time, I remember Shania Twain literally coming over with Nora Wilson, listening for her first record before she ever met Mud Lane. I remember Martina McBride coming in and she caught a couple of songs from that company. It wasn't my songs, but I remember her bringing a thank you note to the song pluggers after the record was released. I remember Pam Tillis, you know, her first album on Arista with maybe it was Memphis. I remember her coming in, bringing a little cassette recording of that. Oh. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. I'm sharing some stuff I've never even talked about. It just hit me at this little publishing company. Winona, her first solo record. I remember Tony Brown walking her in to the office building and listening for that first solo record. Just many great memories. And in that building, Mel Tillis, it was a two-story building and he rented offices out. Yeah. So George and Nancy Jones had an office there. I, that's really Nancy George wasn't, he wasn't sitting at a 
he would sit in the lobby though and complain like i'm ready to go home I want gun smoke but you know, let me think who else was uh, the accountant for alan jackson and brooks and dunn so alan and brooks and dunn were always in that and then a booking agent by the name of joe taylor who booked porter wagoner little jimmy dickens Connie Smith. So in that building, you could walk in and see all at one time. <laughs> There's George Jones, maybe Brooks, one of Brooks and Dunn, Little Jimmy, Porter Wagner. I mean, it was welcome to Nashville. <laughs> it was really, and you know, I knew it was special, but now I look back, how special. Right. You know? Right. I cannot even imagine, honestly. Um, you know, I was going to talk about this later, but this is kind of a perfect segue. You put out a song this year called I've Lived Country Music. Yeah. All of what you're talking about, you reference a lot of that in the song. I really do. I need to have 10 songs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I really have. I've been blessed. I, you know, as I've told also in other, other interviews, it's nothing I've chased other than writing songs, but I've really been blessed to be in some very special, you know, moments and situations and getting to know some of my heroes. And, uh, and yeah, I'm really proud of that song. Like you said, it's called I Live, I've Lived Country Music. And when I wrote it, you know, I thought, well, I'm definitely not going to pitch this. It's my story. And then I was in Muscle Shoals, Alabama back in June and just happened to just walk into Wishbone Studios to see my old buddy Billy Lawson down there. The studio people like Roy Orbison and God, me Kershaw, Hank Jr. cut Family Tradition, The Temptations cut there. Mac McAnally started there as a songwriter and he recorded his first records there. And I walked in there and it felt like going back to 1979. The equipment updated, but the vibe, the vibe was there. And I'm like, okay, I have just the song that I need to record here. And and it was like full circle going back to the place really where I started as far as songwriting. Yeah. yeah. Well, what inspired you to, to release this song? It's been a few years since you put any music out as an artist, which by the way, is that something that you're constantly thinking about being an artist or just being a songwriter oh. come first? Songwriting is number one for me. I mean, I never came here thinking about being an artist. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of fell into that. Uh, because listen, when you when I came here, there was no places for songwriters to perform other than the Bluebird Cafe or maybe Douglas Corner. Sure. And you definitely songwriters didn't get paid to sing their songs. Right. And now, you know, it's another world it, and it's beautiful. I mean, you you have so many songwriter festivals, so many gigs now, you know, theaters where they bring in just the writers. But but it goes a little further than that for me, because again with my I call it rich history and getting to work with a lot of these icons that aren't around anymore I incorporate that into my show I tell some of these stories I sing songs you know recorded by maybe Hank Sr. or Merle Haggard they're not here to sing that anymore so I mix it up and uh, and it's something I've really enjoyed and I think it's kind of cool that I didn't come here wanting to do that yeah. but you know songs like this i mean again who else no one else is going to record these and and i've been blessed to develop a, a fan base which is kind of bizarre to even say because that was so far from my mind right. it's happened and it's happened in a very natural way i mean when i did the cmt show the singing bee i was part of that cat that's kind of what started me doing shows 
and started me recording because fans of that show on CMT asking for product and and the next next thing you know I'm doing shows and and it seems like it just gets better and better every year but and it's really cool to mix it up I love going in writing songs writing for other people and then it's fun to get out there and and sing them and just look at the faces and see what really works and can you know what songs people connect with yeah it's a whole other world now people love to hear the stories behind the songs they love they do thank thank god because that's basically all of jamming and jammies is so thank you <laughs> but yeah thank you for having you know a podcast too and you know and spotlighting so many songwriters as you have i mean i've met people like ryan larkin you know the one of the first times i heard him perform was at one of your shows and he's a great friend of mine now he's wonderful we need to get him on here hey side note i'm gonna have to get ryan on the phone but uh yeah you keep doing this you keep making amazing points that i was going to get to later but i i want to touch on it now you mentioned the singing bee um you've done a whole lot of, of tv and film stuff is that something that you were after or just kind of happened i feel almost bad shaking my head and saying no because but that just happened very naturally too. I mean, like Singing Bee, in case people don't remember the show or never saw the show, it was really a game show hosted by Melissa Peterman who co-starred in the Reba TV show. And she's, you know, baby daddy. And I think she has a brand new show, but she was the host and the shows were filmed. We had five seasons and they were filmed in Los Angeles. We had a full cast of singers, band members, uh, songwriter Hall of Fame member Steve Dorff, he was the leader, and we would sing a little bit of the song, and then the contestants would finish it, and it just ended up being a huge show, and I did that show, and you know, I've been on a lot of other TV shows, and I've been involved in two or three films, uh, one that I'm really proud of called Wheeler, that uh, I actually just played myself, and uh, Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson starred in the film and we uh, filmed it here in Nashville. It was about a dreamer from Texas who wanted to come to Nashville. Not really that much of a, you know, unusual story, but there's some definitely some twists and turns that you don't see in most films like this. And we, you know, there really weren't actors other than Stephen and Chris. And, and for the most part, everyone played themselves like Bart Herbison with the Songwriters Association, producer Jim Ed Norman, uh, band members like Jeff King, Mike Johnson, Jimmy Nichols, uh, Ron Harmon from uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame, and you know, real waitresses, you know, in the diners. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's actually on Amazon right now. It's one of their featured films that you can get free, and uh, it's it's really a cool movie. I we will link it so that people can find it. Oh. We'll post about it and all of that because uh, I've been meaning to check it out. I remember you talking about that a couple years ago uh, when you guys were, I guess, finishing it up. So yeah, we all need to go watch that. I would love to. See, well, I'd love to see you play yourself. What a role! Well, it was easy. I didn't have to learn the script. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about songwriting because you, you've spent your entire life uh, being a songwriter and pursuing this. Who were some of your mentors? Well, the first mentor was my old roommate in Muscle Shoals. His name was Billy Henderson. He wrote the song 10,000 Angels for Mindy McCready. He had on, he said cuts on Big and Rich, Gretchen Wilson, Jerry Reed, Crystal Gale. I mean, 
you know, and he's still writing. I actually finished a new song with him, he and Lance Miller and I, this year. But he was home working at the radio station in Andalusia, Alabama, taking care of his sick parents. And he was there just for a few months. I went in after high school and worked at this station for a couple of years before going to Muscle Shoals. And he, you know, at that point, I had decided that I don't think I'm going to go to Nashville. I was, I didn't have confidence. I, my dad brought me up here and I hope I'm not being too long-winded with these stories. No, not at all. I love it. (laughs) Well, anyway, my dad, you know, he's like, okay, you've never been to Nashville. We're going to go spend a few days. And, you know, it was just like the country music version of the Land of Oz for me. Getting off at Demumbrian, we stopped at a Shoney's restaurant. You remember that Shoney's right there on Demumbrian? I do, yes. Yeah. Well, I'll never forget. We get out of the car, walking in, Minnie Pearl is walking out. Lacey J. Dalton, who had the big hit 16th Avenue, she's smoking a cigarette outside the restaurant and then Farron Young legendary country singer hello Walsh you know there he is in the restaurant and I'm like oh this is I thought I had really died and gone to hillbilly heaven and you know spent a few days went to Grand Hill Hoppery at that time Demumbrian was not the tin roof and all those bars it was Hank Jr. a museum Waylon Jennings a museum Loretta Lynn Western Wear Alabama gift shop Conway Twitty record shop and it really it was just magical and but after a couple of days reality was kicking in we were driving up and down music row 16th 17th and 18th and I'm like how do you get into any of these buildings it seemed like you know from the street to getting in the front door felt like a million miles away and I just kind of you know again from a small town felt very safe, secure, worked in radio. I, I got back home and I thought, I just don't think, I just don't think I can do it. It's going to be a lot tougher than I ever imagined. So I was going to go to work at a little radio station outside of my hometown. The station I had worked at growing up had burned down. What? Yeah. So I was going to work in Green, Alabama, about 20 miles away. And Hank Williams's cousin, Edna, called me and she says we know the manager of this radio station in Andalusia it's not a big city but for some reason they have a 100,000 watt FM station and I said no 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 I'm gonna go to Greenville no we're driving you at least to meet with the manager of this radio station and I didn't want to go and I went with them never forget pouring down rain day I walk inside and they introduced me to the manager of the station. And he says, well, you know what? We do need an announcer for the AM station. And they both, AM and FM, were in the same building. And he says, see that guy right there in the FM control room? His name is Billy Henderson. And he's had songs recorded by Crystal Gale, T.G. Shepard, and, and Jerry Reed. He says he's home taking care of his parents who were very sick. He's going to be here for maybe two or three more months getting this situation taken care of. And he said, then we'll move you to the FM, but you're going to be working on the AM while he's on the FM. Ah, And I had heard about him for three or four years. I'd never met him. And then I started pitching him song ideas and eventually he started working on them. Then he went back to Muscle Shoals and then they had a radio opening up there. He came home one week. He says, you know, Bobby, 
Marty Rabin, the lead singer of this new group, Shannon Daw, has been roommates with me and another member, Mike McGuire. And he said, he's moving out. He's gotten married. And then we have our room, $69 a month. And I thought, this is just like a God thing. This is just meant to be. So I, I gave my notice and, and I got the radio gig in Muscle Shoals and moved in. And Shenandoah was just on the verge of having their first hit. And I mean, I almost get emotional even talking about it because, you know, sometimes I forget really how, again, it's just how God works. And, and I, you know, I wasn't even trying to be in control of this situation. That's why I knew it had to be right, because I didn't even want to go to work at that radio and Hank Williams' cousin and Hank Williams being my first inspiration and influence, his cousin led me there. And it it almost sounds like you were fighting destiny for a minute there. I was afraid of it. Yeah, I was. I'll admit that. It's very intimidating. You know, can you imagine now coming into this town? And back then, really, it was like, come on in. It wasn't as, I mean, it was hard, but it wasn't as hard as it even seemed back then. But but I moved to Muscle Shoals, worked at WLAY Radio, and, <laughs> and I learned from some of the best. And boy, those writers in Muscle Shoals, Robert Byrne, Walt Aldridge. I met Stephen Dell Jones my very second day there. Wow. And he and I ended up writing one more day for Diamond Rio. I met Mark Narmore, who wrote what I love about Sunday for Craig Morgan. Yeah. I met Mark in my first day there and we ended up, you know, becoming just great friends and have had success together. And, and it's, and then this guy, Jim Martin, you probably know Jim, tall guy here in no. town. I guarantee you I know, know him. I know of him. Yes. Talented guys had cuts on a lot of big acts, but he was going to school down there and he and I started writing songs and, he says, I'm going to Nashville. And I said, why do you want to leave Muscle Shoals? And he ended up having an internship with Mel Tillis. And Mel liked a lot of the songs he was writing and that he and I had written. Yeah. And came up for a demo session and, and Mel asked if I wanted a publishing deal. And I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't even know you could get a deal unless you'd already had a big hit. Yeah. And 100 bucks a week. And I did ask him, I said, how about 150? And he stuttered, you know, Mel stuttered, famous for that. He was like, well, well, that, they only gave me $50 when I came here. I thought, yeah, like 50 years ago. <laughs> I, I didn't argue. I gladly took it and I went and got me a Kroger job and, wow. and I was happy to be in Music City. And it was hard, hard times and I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize how hard it was looking back, trying to live off 200 bucks a week in a city like Nashville, even then. But uh, I'm just so blessed. I, I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, it hasn't been easy. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, people may watch this and think at that point, life has been just a roller coaster of wonderful times. And oh, we, it would take a couple of more podcasts to talk about the hard Oh, I, I understand, my friend. And maybe we'll do that. We'll, we'll have to probably probably get some whiskey or something involved to do that, though. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, no. Actually, we won't talk about, I don't want to depress people, but, but no, everybody <laughs> has that. That's part of it. That's life. Right. But, you know, it's funny, on social media, people tend to see your post. Right. They think, oh, he or she just 
that may that's not the truth i mean like this past year you know it's been a hard year i lost my mom you know and my dad she and my dad were married 68 years and for him to try to you know rebuild and and keep it together after 68 years and they had a house fire in the midst of that and again i'm not trying to be doom and gloom i'm saying somehow well through god i just survived it my dad's hanging in he just turned 88 today but here you know just everybody's had a tough year i i mean i don't know anyone who hasn't had you know it hasn't but anyway well, I really appreciate you sharing all that with us. And my heart goes out to you. Losing a parent is the worst. But I mean, you're just such a gifted storyteller that I could just, I could ask you questions and uh, and talk with you all day. It, it does sound like you've been blessed. Nobody is blessed without having hard times though, you know? And uh, it sounds like you've had some wonderful people in your life. It sounds like your dad kind of gave you a kick in the butt to go to Nashville and at least give it a try, you know? Yeah. And Edna, yeah. I mean, you've had wonderful people pushing you. He didn't have to take me and you know and my mom bless her heart you know when i was a kid i would get all you know i was out of school at around three o'clock and she would pick me up and drive me to the radio station and you know at that time 11 12 13 14 you had to have someone an adult there on the premises until you were i think 16. so if the management wasn't there if some of the office workers weren't there she would have to be there sitting in the lobby so I look back on that and, you know, thinking about her getting up at 4.30 on a Saturday morning mm-hmm. and taking me sign on the radio station and the free, you know, when it would get cold in the winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. And I, and I've always appreciated it, boy, but boy, do I appreciate it now more than ever. Yeah. And, but, but no, this, it is just a crazy ride. Everybody has a story and all of them are really, they're different. And, and, and I do, I look back, I think about the Grand Ole Opry, you know, when I worked at Kroger, I think when I would get off work on Saturday evening, buying an Opry ticket for five bucks, we're talking the nineties, we're not talking the fifties yeah. and I was a kid, but I would go out there and now I look back on it and it was like looking at a museum with live entertainment yeah. with Roy Acuff, little Jimmy Dickens and, and Minnie Pearl and all of these greats, but you know, it's funny. I, I knew all of when I met you all about your dad. I wasn't his friend. I mean, I didn't get to know him well, but I met him. And in radio, I played, you know, his big old Ronnie Millsap hit, The Girl Who Waits on Tables. And, and I remember a Lion Jukebox that Hank Williams Jr. recorded. I remember hearing that before it was released. And uh, that just blows so you, my mind. You get it. You get it. You were raised. It's in you, you know. I do. I get it. It was, it, I feel like people ask how you get into music and I always say it got into me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. the way I, that's the way, cause I really didn't come from a musical family. I did have a couple of wonderful uncles who knew chords on the guitar, but even before they showed me, it was already just, I was ate up with it and all they had to do was me an E chord, a D chord, a G chord off, man. I was, I was going back to my home in Louvern, Alabama, sitting, playing with Hank Williams. My bucket's got a hole in it. I the first time I could play all the way through with a Hank Williams record, I, I ran in the house. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can play. My bucket's got a hole in it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well. Sitting in my room, you know, listening to putting on Waylon Jennings records or Willie or Hank Jr. And I pretend I was in a studio. And when it came time for the lead, I, 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 in my mind, I was like, 
I have to play the lead part. Right. I have to do it correctly. I learned how to play. That's how I learned how to play guitar. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. I'm I'm loving all these little stories that you're sharing. Um, you know, you caught me on a day really talking. Where I'm. And that's every day for me. So I'm always down to talk, but I, I, we were just talking about your mentors. Is it important for you to, I know that you have become a mentor to a lot of people in Nashville. Is that something you're very humble, but uh, you know, is that something that's important to you to kind of pass the torch and, and share what you've learned? Absolutely. When I see, you know, true writing talent or singing talent, Oh, I love to encourage Are you kidding. That means so much because I remember some of those first songs that I wrote with uh, the guy mentioned, Billy Henderson. He would say things like, boy, I could hear Kenny Rogers do this. Or I could hear George Strait. Just him saying that, just him saying that did wonders for me. It increased my dreaming. It increased my confidence, my belief. And I mean, I don't want to hype anyone. I'm not into that. I'm into being honest. And he was too. Sure. Because he quickly tell me when an idea wasn't good in his eyes, you know. Right. But You've got to do that. But like people like Ryan Lark, you know, when I wrote with him for the first time, I needed a special gift. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, I've met people at some of these seminars, you know, like I've been involved in five songwriting jobs at the Hank, at the Hank Williams Museum in Montgomery. And I keep, you know, it's not one of those deals where I'm like, okay, I meet you one time and I don't want to hear from you. I keep up with them. And I love to hear you know, what they're doing. And I love to encourage them. And, and that's a big deal, a big deal to me. And you never know where you're going to meet the next, you know, great writer or great singer. And, and, you know, it's so funny how I was talking about Hank Williams's cousin helping me. And, you know, in the past three years, I've really worked a lot with Hank Jr.'s son, Sam, Sam Williams. And that's been a lot of been fun and when I met him and when I first heard him, I'm like, oh, man, it's you. It's natural. You got it. You're natural born, obviously. Yeah. And it's been now he just signed a deal with Universal. And that's been wonderful to see that and see his growth. Of course, it sure hasn't been easy for him. He just lost his sister, Katie, last year, a car accident. And um, but he's he's just a natural. And, and there's many out there. There's so uh, and I love it. That's the fun part. You know, I, I don't want to just get in a corner and work with the same people all the time. I want to mix it up and work with new talent, younger talent. I mean, I always laugh and tell people I write songs with Mason Ramsey, you know, two or three with him. And he's like, what, young teens? Right. To the artists and writers in their 80s. So it's, and you know, Bill Anderson's a big inspiration to me. He's you know, he's been having hit songs and writing and performing since the late 50s. And he's as hungry today as he's ever been. He and Jim Martin demoed a new song. And I was just on the phone with him a few minutes ago. He's excited like, like a new kid in town. And that's, that's what I strive to be is be like Bill. Unbelievable. Well, what do you look for in a new co-writer when you're meeting someone and maybe it's someone young at these conferences or maybe it's someone older? I mean, what do you look for in a co-writer? You know, it all boils down to something that moves me, whether it's the voice, whether it's, you know, the song. You know, I mean, 
I guess really it boils down to just a great song, seeing even a piece of a song that's close. Right. And just, uh, I, I mean, I have a good radar and I should, I mean, my whole life listening to great songs, but and I'm not saying I always write them, believe me, I don't, but, but, uh, but no, you know, just something that moves me. I know that's a very simple answer, but. Music is simple, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you've accomplished so much. What haven't you done? What's a, a goal of yours? What's something you'd still like to do? What's next? What are you working on? Wow, that is a great question. <laughs> and I should just be able to just throw an answer out just like that. But I guess just have, I'd like to have some more hit songs. I mean, I've been really blessed. You know, I want to be like, again, like a Bill Anderson. And it's not even about money. It's not about fame, but just being able to continue to do what I love. Right. I mean, like Bill, you know, after his first hit with Ray Price in 1959, you know, having a song of the year, yeah. you know, 2000s with Whiskey Lullaby or Give It Away on George Strait. I just really continue to do that and give and inspire. And, and again, it's not all about me. I want to be able to take those gifts and the success and maybe, not maybe, but encourage others. That's the greatest gift. I mean, I'm finally at a point where I realized just giving my, you know, again, encouragement, going to sing and make somebody happy. Like somebody approached me yesterday to go sing at a nursing home for this guy's mother, who I know, I haven't seen her in a while, but he said, you know what that would mean just to show up with a guitar? And I mean, I want to do things like that. I... I, uh, I want to continue to do things like that and make people just try to make people smile and, and encourage people. There's so much darkness in the world and we've all experienced it. I do. I mean, and there's days, you know, like as a songwriter, it's like, oh, will I ever get another song recorded? And then like a miracle, the phone rings or like the Lacey J. Dalton 16th Avenue song, you know, like a miracle, some words roll off someone's tongue. And then for a while you go in style on 16th Avenue, no greater truth has ever been written than that. You will start hearing from people you haven't heard from in years. Oh, how's my buddy doing? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, well, on that topic, it is so hard to be in the music industry. You know, a lot of our followers want to be songwriters. A lot of them are artists. A lot of them want to be in the industry. A&R, they want to own their own label, publishing company. It, it doesn't matter what you want to do in, in Nashville. It's hard, you know, it's hard to get in. It's hard to stay in. What advice do you have, if any, to just keep the faith? I mean, you've had, I'm sure, some better years than others. How do you keep yeah. going when, when you think the phone isn't going to ring? How do you keep the faith? I just, I, pr I do pray a lot. And I just, I just try to, you know, rely on my faith. Oh, I've got us all, any of us have, really. We have to have it. And especially to be in a business where there is no guarantee. I look back at it now and think, oh my gosh, I came here. It was, it's not like, okay, in four years, you're definitely going to get a number one record or a, even a song recorded. And, um, uh, I don't know. It's that's uh, <laughs> yeah, faith. That's the only thing I can say. And I mean, even during a pandemic, I was um, 
it was an interesting year for his songs recorded. I had some of the most bizarre songs that were recorded during that pandemic period, which I guess we're still in, but like the Willie Nelson, Barbara Streisand duet, never saw that coming. Unbelievable. Uh, then Jeannie Seeley got a record deal with Curb. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre at her age, and I don't want to like focus on that, but she'll be the first to tell you they're not signing people her age to record deals. And for her to have a chance to put a new record out, and she recorded a song that the great Dottie West had started in the 60s, and Steve Warner and I finished it. And she and Steve, yeah, she and Steve recorded that. And then I ended up with a bluegrass hit with Rhonda Vincent, the genie, and Aaron Enderlin. And, I, and then what else? There was something else, a song in the Texas part with the guy from The Voice, Sundance Head. So it's been kind of like all over the map. And, um, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm just very grateful, but it's not the predictable, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I think just you listing all the things that happened to you within a year is enough motivation for people to hang in there because you just don't know. And I do feel like in the music industry, more than any other industry, you spend a lot of years planting seeds and then it might take a long time, but then they might all start growing together. You just don't know. That's very true. Yeah. So. Very true. And you know, another thing I always tell people be a good hang don't go into the in the writing room just angry or complaining and and you know I'm definitely not one of those writers like well the way we did it back in 2005 or 1998 nobody wants to hear that I I didn't want to hear that from people when I first came to town and that's not encouraging and 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 plus I just don't feel that way I mean I want to keep growing too I haven't learned everything I can learn from a lot of these, and I have learned, I am learning from a lot of the new writers that I've worked with, and, uh, and um, yeah, just be a good hang, that's huge, you know, you got to have some talent, for sure, but, but be, uh, make it an enjoyable experience, yeah, don't throw the pencil, I guess, I don't, but people don't write with pencils anymore, <laughs> I had writing early in town, where a lady threw a pencil, my way she didn't like it because i made a suggestion to change a lyric wow okay. yeah well maybe you should be able to take a little bit of constructive criticism too maybe there's some <laughs> words of wisdom hey, there too. listen i have been <laughs> you know i'll never forget it had only been two or three years after you know steve and del jones and i were nominated nominated for a grammy a cma and an acm for one more day a guy that was working at uh, the publishing company called me in and literally picked up a cd where i had recorded my vocal on a song and threw it against the wall and say don't sing your own songs i will not pitch anything with you, your vocal on it oh my gosh and the only reason i'm sharing that believe me i'm not carrying around baggage I'm just saying you can have some one of the biggest years yet and still have to deal with crap like that. Absolutely. That's why I'm sharing that. Man. And you know what? Messed with my mind a little bit. I quit singing. And guess what? I ended up on that CMT show just a few years later and I thought, well, I must not be terrible. Oh, goodness. I hate that. I hate that. But oh, you no, know I'm, it's, no, it's good. It's, yeah, something good, good came out of it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, maybe everybody at some point has that experience in some But fact. now, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, fine, don't listen to it. Yeah, yeah. It's listen funny to how it. we grow. 
It is. It is. It's, it's, it's a journey. Made me walk out of the room with my head down and, you know, and, and it, hey, listen, if you don't like my singing, that's all right, but you don't have to say never sing, throw my CD at the wall, you know. Sounds like he was having a bad day. Nice to people. Be kind to people, you know? There's, yeah, there's no reason to never be kind. Absolutely. I just realized how long I've kept you. Um, I just love talking to you. <laughs> oh, this is short. This is short. I, I, last Sunday night, an hour and a half. Did you really? We yeah. try, I, I try to keep it under an hour if I can, just because I don't know. I just was kind of shooting for that, but I just, I really do love talking to you. In fact, I, we might have to do a part two sometime if you're up for it, because um, you just have the most amazing stories. Um, one more question before you go, if you don't mind, you have no. all these amazing stories of people that you've met, things you've experienced, uh, wonderful things you've done. Um, is there one moment that stands out the most? You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be your favorite, but just one moment that just blew you away. I can, I can never name one, one moment. I mean, I can throw about four or five at you and not that they're the biggest, because <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to name a moment. I mean, when you ask that immediately, I think of singing on stage with Loretta Lynn. Yeah. I think of going to, uh, an event when I was like in my teens and there's Hank Williams Jr., Johnny Cash, June Carter, Waylon Jennings, and Dickie Betts of the Allman Brothers in one room, Jesse Culture, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Wow. Um, you know, I think of, you know, Chris Christopherson when we filmed the movie Wheeler and Stephen Dorff and I went to his house and actually played the, the movie when it was finished for him and getting to experience that evening with Chris Christopherson. Okay. I mean, those things... You know, and I'm not mentioning anything, you know, where I've written or or anything I've done. It's actually just being in the midst of these great artists that influenced me. That might be the highlight for me. I mean, other than just friendships. I mean, it's been huge getting to have moments and these people are kind. Yeah. Now, if they would have been jerks, that wouldn't be a really beautiful memory. But, you know, I can't think of a bad one of you know people that i've looked up to no one has disappointed me that's amazing and they say don't meet your heroes you've met a bunch of your heroes i've never experienced that i mean i was sounded i was sound engineer for whispering bill anderson for like three and a half years before i started having songs recorded and you know i met a lot of people on the road with him we did a lot of package shows and i mean everyone was just so kind i mean definitely more some more open than others i mean sure. but just great memories. Wow. I have this theory that you really don't rise to that kind of level, like icon level, without just being a really wonderful, thoughtful person. You know, Dolly Parton. I mean, I've right. had a couple of moments with Dolly, one really good visit last year, and just just so kind. Here, let me get you some bottled water. Let me, you know, and just so kind. Beautiful, beautiful spirit. And Oh God, I could just go on and on. Well, I hope you're writing a book, but. <laughs> Everyone said that and I haven't started yet, but I probably should. I should, you know, write these memories down. I mean, because I really have some special one-of-a-kind memories. Phil Everly, the Everly brothers. You know, and again, I met these people, most of these people, it wasn't like I was out trying to get a friendship with them. Like I met Phil very random yeah. at a CMA award show. His he had just moved to Columbia, Tennessee, and his neighbor 
was someone from my hometown and she spoke to me and then introduced us and he's like come down and let's write a song I mean it was very organic very natural yeah that's how it should be you know that's amazing well I hope you start writing a book and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and your stories and your energy and you know the positive influence that you have on young writers and in Nashville in general. You've been an inspiration to me for sure. And I'm grateful. Jamin and Jamin, I'm very grateful. I'm not just saying it because we're doing this podcast, but I, you know, you're very talented as well. You really have just great melodies and, and, and really good lyrics. But then again, you should. I mean, look at your, I always say that about people from families. I was telling Tess Frizzell that the other day, her uncle, you know, lefty David Frizzell, her dad, Alan, who's had hits, her grandmother, Dottie West, mother, Shelly West. And then I looked, I said, man, you're really a great writer. But then I thought, you should be. <laughs> you're not. But your dad, and I, I really, I knew, you know, when I met you, I'm like, oh, I know his songs. He wrote that big Mo Bandy hit, I Cheated Me Right Out of You, right? Yeah, you know, it's just amazing when I met you, that meant so much to me because it was a long time ago. People don't don't really know him all the time. So it was really special for me um, that you knew him and you knew his songs and it made me tear up. It was a very special moment for me. Well, when I was in radio, I remember I played records and I would look at the songwriter's name and for some reason, his name stuck out. There was something like Bobby Barkley. <laughs> you know, here's Ronnie Millsap, the girl who waits on tables. <laughs> well, I wish I could have been around for those times, man. <laughs> oh boy, me too. Right, right. Yeah. What a time! Goodness. Oh gosh, it would have been something. I mean, now I'd be a lot older, but boy, to experience a little bit of the '60s, '70s, and even '80s in Nashville. Oh, 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 the Possum Holly, George Jones's club. Right? Oh. I probably wouldn't be alive, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we would have gotten into some trouble back then, probably. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> oh. It's such a treat to talk to you. Please, let's do this again, because I feel like we have more to talk about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Thank you. You bet. <laughs> Chicken.